the Southcrest Live podcast. If this is your first time to listen, please connect with us at www.southcrest.org for more information. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's message. Open your Bibles to Colossians chapter 2. Jesus told us, you shall know the truth, and the truth will set you free. I don't believe a lot of people know about the freedom that they have in Christ, because there are a lot of people who will try to add to that. They'll say, well, I know you followed Jesus, but, and then they add something to that. Well, today we're going to talk about overcoming spiritual intimidation. Because there are going to be people who are going to tell you that Jesus isn't enough. That you being forgiven of your sins and being saved by faith in Christ isn't enough. You gotta add some stuff to that. Paul has just written the Colossians and and we've looked at where he just talked about how our sufficiency is in Jesus, how he's forgiven us of our sin, how he's cleansed us, how he's raised us from uh, from sin and given us a new life in him. He's taken away all our sin and we've been singing about that. But then listen to what he says in verse 16. So let no one judge you in food or in drink or regarding a festival or a new moon or Sabbaths, which is a shadow of things to come, but the substance is of Christ. Let no one cheat you of your reward, taking delight in false humility and worship of angels, intruding into those things which he has seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind, and not holding fast to the head from whom all the body nourished and knit together by joints and ligaments grows with the increase that is from God. Therefore, if you died with Christ from the basic principles of the world, why, as though living in the world, do you subject yourselves to regulations? Do not touch, do not taste, do not handle, which all concern things which perish with the using according to the commandments and doctrines of men. These things indeed have an appearance of wisdom in self-imposed religion, false humility, and neglect of the body, but are of no value against the indulgence of the flesh. Would you pray with me? Lord, help us to understand this and help people to see that when they have Jesus, they have it all because he paid it all, he covered it all. We pray that you won't let us be intimidated by people who try to add to the gospel. So would you speak to our hearts today? And I pray you'll open the eyes of those who, who may have been trapped in some of this, that you'll set them free today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. amen. It's amazing some of the rules and laws that are still on the books in different states. For example, in Alabama, it's illegal for a driver to be blindfolded while operating a vehicle. In Florida, you cannot chain your alligator to a fire hydrant. In Minnesota, it's illegal to tease a skunk. In Louisiana, biting someone with your natural teeth is simple assault, while biting someone with your false teeth is aggravated assault. 
In Quitman, Georgia, cars are not to drive on sidewalks and it's illegal for a chicken to cross the road. In Tennessee, dogs must have a permit signed by the mayor in order to congregate in groups of three or more on private property. In Oklahoma, whale hunting is strictly forbidden. In Texas, if two trains going in opposite directions on the same track meet each other, no one can move until the other one does. In Texas, it's illegal for a blind person to go hunting unless they have someone with them who isn't blind. And there's an old Texas law that states you can be legally married by publicly introducing a person as your husband or wife three times. In New York, you're not allowed to open an umbrella in front of a horse. In the Pine Island District of Minnesota, a man must tip his hat when passing a cow. <laughs> it's illegal in Massachusetts to eat peanuts in church. You can do it here, it's legal in Texas. <laughs> it's unlawful to whistle on Sunday in Louisiana. It's amazing some of these laws. You wonder how they got on the books, especially that one about whale hunting in Oklahoma. I haven't figured that one out. A lot of people don't understand what the Christian life is about. They think the Christian life is a set of rules, do's and don'ts, regulations. That's all they think. And I want to tell you, that's not what the Christian life is about. Christian life is about having a relationship with Jesus Christ. God didn't send Jesus to bring us a set of rules. He set us free from a lot of those rules. And these early Christians were being faced with a lot of mixed regulations. They had some coming from a Jewish background, some coming from a pagan background, trying to add all of their rules into salvation that was through Jesus Christ by faith. And you have come to know Jesus by repenting of your sin, turning from it, asking God to forgive you, and placing your faith, your trust in Jesus Christ. That's how you are saved, by faith or trust in Jesus. But they were adding all of these rules. And so we face the same kind of thing today. One of the reasons the Bible is still relevant today is because mankind hasn't changed. Our circumstances and our toys have changed, but the heart of man is still the same because they were still trying to add to it. And you're going to have people come to you at some point in your life and they're going to tell you, well, I used to be like you. I used to, you know, this. They're going to say, but you need to do this too. And you need to beware. And so with that in mind, let's look for a few moments. First of all, how do you avoid overcoming or how do you avoid spiritual intimidation? First of all, you follow the light, not the shadows. In verse 17, he mentions these were shadows of things to come. Shadows are pictures given in advance to prepare us for something. Now let me give you the scientific definition of shadows. This will clear it up for you. The scientific answer, a shadow, an area that is not or is only partially irradiated or illuminated because of the interception of radiation by an opaque object between the area and the source of radiation. <laughs> Y'all got that? 
To put it simply, shadows are a one-dimensional outline of the real thing. They're not the real thing. Out here in West Texas, we've got lots of sunshine. You see lots of shadows. And if you, maybe you've been sitting by a building or sitting in your backyard and someone was about to come around the house and you see their shadow on the ground before you see the real person. He's saying a lot of these things that were given in the Old Testament and given before Jesus showed up are shadows of the real light, the light of the world, Jesus Christ. Hence, I tell you, you follow the light, not the shadows. Now, Paul mentions a couple of shadows here. First, he mentions the shadow of legalism. And make no mistake about it, we have all been in legalism. We have. Oh, we, we, we put it in spiritual terms. The Jews found comfort in legalism. They took the Ten Commandments and added to it till they had 613 commandments. And they just burdened people with them. Rule keeping is just a shadow. There's no spiritual substance to rule keeping. Because just keeping a rule doesn't change your heart. Anybody can keep a rule. Whether they love God or not, anybody can keep a rule. They can go through the motions of it. John MacArthur in his commentary on Colossians said, legalism is useless because it cannot restrain the flesh. It is also dangerously deceptive because inwardly rebellious and disobedient Christians or even non-Christians can conform to a set of external performance standards or rituals. Legalism judges someone's spirituality by what they do on the outside. If they're keeping the rules, if they're following all of the stuff, then they say, well, that person must be a Christian. Or they will say, that person's a good Christian because they do these things. Now, don't misunderstand me. God tells us there are things we should do as believers. His moral law is still in effect. And there are things that God says, as a child of God, this is not what you should do. But you understand there are people who say, but you know what, if I don't do this and I don't do that and I do this and I don't, then I'm a Christian. Paul is saying that's just a shadow. It's legalism. Legalists never keep the whole law. They only observe the part that they like. Have you ever noticed that? We don't keep it all. We just keep a few parts of it. And legalism always leads to pride. They pride themselves in keeping certain standards. You ask somebody, well, tell me about your walk with the Lord. Well, I don't do this and I don't do that and I don't do this and I don't do that. It's not do's and don'ts. It's a relationship with the Lord. Obviously, he's going to lead you in certain ways, but it's a relationship with him. Chuck Swindoll wrote a book entitled The Grace Awakening, and in it he tells about missionaries who were torpedoed by peanut butter. He said the particular place they went to serve the Lord did not have access to peanut butter. This particular family happened to enjoy peanut butter a great deal. Rather creatively, they made arrangements with some of their friends in the States to send them peanut butter every now and then so they could enjoy it with their meal. The problem is they did not know until they started receiving the supply of peanut butter that the other missionaries considered it a mark of spirituality that you not have peanut butter with your meals. And I suppose it went like this. We believe since we can't get peanut butter here, we should give it up for the cause of Christ 
or something like that. A basis of spirituality was bearing the cross of living without peanut butter. The young family didn't buy into that line of peanut butter. They kept getting their regular shipments of peanut butter. They didn't flaunt it. They just enjoyed it in the privacy of their own home. But the pressure began to intensify, and you would expect adult missionaries to be big enough to let others eat what they pleased, right? Wrong. The legalism was so petty, the pressure got so intense, the exclusive treatment became so unfair, it finished them off spiritually. Matthew 15, you know what Jesus said? He said, it's not what goes in the person that defiles them. It's what comes out of the person that defiles you. There are still people today who say, you know what? The strict Old Testament dietary laws are still in effect. No, they've been nailed to the cross. Right here in Colossians, it says that. Let me tell you something. You can eat whatever you want to eat. Now, there are a lot of things I suggest you don't eat. But if you want to eat it, eat it. If it makes you sick, I suggest you don't eat it. But the fact is, that's what legalism is. The legalists insist that everybody attain the same standards that they have. They are out there. I hate to confess to you, I've been one. I have. You're looking at a recovering Pharisee. <laughs> I can remember when I first became a pastor, I was 25. That was almost 40 years ago. <sighs> I, I really shouldn't tell you, but I, I've, I've said this. If you really love Jesus, you're going to be here on Sunday night. You're going to be here on Wednesday night. Now, where does that come from? That's legalism. Now, I know I'm not the only one. There are other Southern Baptists in here. It even got worse than that, you know, if you played cards and you went to, it's legalism. I mean, we ought to assemble when we can, but I don't know of anybody on earth that has yet to tell me where Sunday night worship came from, how it started. Believe me, I've looked and I'm not faulting it. I kind of miss it at times, but that's legalism. You see what I'm talking about? We, we find things and we just, man, it better be this way. Stephen Brown wrote, he said, my friend Jim Green told me about an interesting incident that happened to be on the first nationwide television broadcast. Some of you may have remembered that because it was a first, a number of prominent people were asked to address the nation. Conrad Hilton was among those who had that opportunity. Everyone waited to see what this great man would say to such a tremendous audience. First nationwide TV broadcast. And he stands up and said, a number of you have stayed at Hilton Hotels. Let me ask you to do something for me. When you take a shower, make sure the shower curtain is on the inside of the tub. What, a, what an opportunity wasted. He could have told people how much he appreciated their business or shared his philosophy of service or could have encouraged them to persevere. He's whining about a shower curtain. That's what legalists do. They whine about the rules. You got to keep the rules. Not all of them, but the ones I want you to keep. Jesus said, when you find out the truth, you're going to be set free from all of that stuff. 
Paul also mentions the shadow of ritualism, not just legalism, but rituals. Listen, you've got them. All of us have them. Are you sitting in the same seat? (laughs) Well, the only reason is because your seat's gone. (laughs) Well, that's probably not a good uh, deal. But you know what? There were special days. The, the Jews had special feast days that were given to them in the Old Testament. The festival or the feast days that are mentioned there in verse 16 probably referred to like the Passover and the first fruits and Pentecost and the Feast of Trumpets and Atonement and the Feast of Tabernacles. All that was found in Leviticus chapter 23. And then you had the pagans that came in that had come to Christ and they brought their sacred days, the new moon or the first of the month. Sometimes they were the same. They offered sacrifices at the new moon or the first day. And you can find a reference to that in Numbers 10 and Numbers 28. And then the Sabbath, the weekly Sabbath, or perhaps Paul had in mind the annual Sabbath day, Leviticus 25, verses 1, 2, and 3. The Jews worshiped on Saturday. The Christians started meeting on Sunday. And even today, you find people arguing about that. Now, all of the commandments... The Ten Commandments were reiterated in the New Testament, were covered again, only taken further, except for one. Guess which one was not mentioned? The Sabbath. Jesus never commanded the people to meet on the Sabbath. The reason we meet on the first day of the week, which is Sunday, is the first day of the week. It's because that's the day that the Lord appeared to the disciples after his resurrection. But but let me ask you this. Can you still worship on Saturday? Can you worship on Sunday? Can you worship on Monday or Tuesday? The day doesn't matter. We've set aside Sunday to worship. But some people make, if it can't be, can't be Sunday, we can't do it. And not only that, I can remember years ago when, heaven forbid, we changed the biblical hour of 11 o'clock on Sunday. (laughs) See, all of you people right now are in sin. (laughs) Because you're not meeting at 11. Am I making my point here? Yeah, we need to assemble together. Scripture says, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. It doesn't say it has to be a Sunday Sunday at 11 o'clock or 9.30 or whatever. Yom Kippur, the day of atonement, was the day that the high priest took a spotless lamb and, and atoned for the sins of Israel. That was a shadow. Jesus Christ came On the scene, John the Baptist said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He's the real thing. Which, no more shadows. So we turn, we go from shadows to the reality of Christ. Verse 17 says, he's the substance. He's the real thing. The Jews kept chasing the shadows when the real Lamb came along. A shadow's a poor substitute of the real thing. Do you have any pictures of your family? Do you have any pictures of them? Yeah, you got them hanging on the wall. Some of you may have them in your purse or your wallet. You, you carry pictures. Can you imagine just relating to that picture and forgetting your family? No, that would be stupid. Or you know somebody famous and you finally get to meet them and you're outside and you run up and you fall down and go, look at their shadow. 
you're not going to do that. But that's what people are doing instead of following Jesus. He's the reality. He's the one that forgives. He's the one that washes us clean. He's the one that gives us life. Galatians 3.24 says, when the law, the, the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. And we laugh at this thinking, oh, I'll never be that way. But let me tell you something. We see this all the time. When we come to worship, some people are worship-centered instead of God-centered. What I mean by that is, if things aren't just the way they want it to be in their worship, music, style, whatever it might be, then they're not gonna worship. That's worship-centered. That's not God-centered. And we get to where we worry more about the day or the, the circumstances than we do about God. That's why Paul said, don't let anybody intimidate you there. It's not about what you eat or it's not about festivals. It's about Jesus. Follow the light, not the shadows. The second thing is keep your head with the head. Now, in verse 19, it says, Paul says it negatively. These people are cheating you. They're trying to disqualify you by not holding fast to the head from whom all the body, nourished and knit together by joints and ligaments, grows with the increase that is from God. I'm stating it positively. He stated it negatively. And back in Colossians chapter 1, he's already said that Jesus is the head of the body of the church. And here we hold fast to the head, and that's where the growth occurs. It grows in our spiritual life. It grows in the church. In order to stay connected, though, to the head, you need to do a couple of things. First of all, beware of spiritual pressure. Some were trying to convince them they're missing something in their faith because they were not experiencing what they experienced. We're living in a day where a lot of people are getting away from the truth of God and they're going to their feelings and they're going to their experiences. He, and Paul said, don't let anybody cheat you here or disqualify you from your reward, your freedom in Christ. And not that you're going to lose your salvation. But he said, just because somebody had an experience over here that you didn't have doesn't mean you're any less saved than they are. Because when you gave your life to Christ, God gave you all of salvation. He didn't, give, he didn't portion it out. He said, well, I'm going to give you a little now and I'll give you a little later. No, you are sealed, you were saved, you were forgiven of your sin, signed, sealed, and delivered right then. You got it all. Jesus paid it all. You have it all in him. So don't let anybody say, well, you know, I had this experience. I've had a lot of experiences, haven't you? Some of them I don't want you to have. But some of them, we've all come to Christ the same way. We're all saved the same way. Through faith in Jesus by God's grace, period. But we all have different experiences getting there. But we're still saved the same way. And just because, and not only that, have you ever noticed that, that we, are, we are made up emotionally different? We are. There are some people who are like, they're just off the wall all the time. They're just 
off the wall. They get so excited. Oh, the water fountain is so good today. You know, they just excited about everything. And then there's some of us who, if the building was on fire, oh, the building's on fire, I gotta get out of here. Go to a ball game. You see people with different emotions. Now, just because somebody may not be as emotional as you are, you're not saved by your emotions. You're saved by faith. You're not saved by your experience. You're saved by faith. Don't let anyone cheat you. That's what he's saying. Don't go there. There's always who, and and only this funny, I think Paul was being a little sarcastic here when he said, these folks even take pride in their humility. I agree with a guy that says, once you realize you have humility, you just lost it. Well, there'll always be those who try to intimidate you. Also, be suspicious of alternate authority. Now, what I mean by that is this. There's a tendency to move from objectivity to subjectivity. And we see this a lot today. People that don't open their Bibles, people that churches, all they want to do is make sure you get excited and you've had an experience and you've, it's all about feelings. And so people began to quit looking at God's word and they began to go by feelings. That's what's the matter today. A lot of people in churches go by feelings. Well, what if you wake up one morning and you don't feel saved? Sometimes you don't feel good. Well, the focus of the, it boils down, it's called mysticism. A lot of people, they begin to have these these subjective experiences. I got mail this week from somebody in Carolina. Didn't have them, they just had my name on the front and, and, and inside, and I didn't have somebody there to intercede for it. It wasn't hateful, but the first thing it said was, I have the word of knowledge. And I just went, I got all the knowledge I need right here. But there'll be people who say, well, you know what? The Lord told me. Now, you need to be careful when you say that. I know that God can give you impressions when you're looking at his word. But but to say, well, you know what? I had a dream. Listen, folks. Listen, just eat pizza before you go to bed. You're going to have a dream. (laughs) But that doesn't mean it's from God. (laughs) I don't believe that stuff. I don't. I'm sorry, I'm not saying God can't work that way, but don't come to me and say, God in a dream told me to tell you this. He didn't tell you to tell me that. You may think he did, but see, I sound hateful, I don't mean to. I just get fired up about it because I can't tell you how many times I've had people come to me and say, well, the Lord told me to tell you this. I'm going, where, where did he tell you and when? Let my blood pressure come back down here. (laughs) We are to hold each other accountable. We're to encourage one another. But I can't tell you how many times I've had people say to me, I used to be a Baptist. Well, I know right then where they're going. I do. 
Now, I got a lot of friends that aren't Baptists, and I'm not here to make a Baptist out of you. I'm a Baptist because we do missions that way, and we do believe in the inerrancy of God's word. There are reasons we are, but being a Baptist doesn't save you. I know that. But usually, it's almost this, well, I used to be down on this level, but now I'm here. And the reason I'm up here is because I've had an experience and I had a dream or I had a vision and I'm not going to put God in a box and I'm not going to say God doesn't speak to you in different ways because if he's ever spoken to you and you got the impression from the Holy Spirit through whatever, I'm not going to fault that. I'm really not. But I just want you to know you need to be suspicious of alternate authority. God's word is objective. We have so many subjective feelings, we can't trust our feelings because they're fickle. But you've got to give attention to the, the position of God's word. Have you ever heard of an adrenaline junkie? Somebody that's just wanting to do stuff all the time so the adrenaline flows in them. Well, there are a lot of Christians that become adrenaline that way. They want, oh, I just need the next high experience. I just need the next high experience. When a walk with Jesus is daily. It's one day at a time. And some days are more exciting than others. And some days you just feel like, God, the only thing I can do today is just hold on. And I don't even have to hold on. He holds on to me. The worship of angels is mentioned here. I've already mentioned to you that a lot of the people in that days, the Gnostics believed that flesh was evil and so God couldn't become flesh and God can't relate to flesh because everything that's been made is evil. And so they believed that there were a lot of intermediaries, the angels, and that you had to come through an angel to get to God. Angels are messengers of God, but you don't go through God to go through angels to get to God. Satan was a fallen angel, and he tried to get Jesus to worship him. And Lord said, Jesus said, "You'll worship the Lord thy God only." And then when John saw an angel in Revelation, he started to fall down and worship him. And the angel said, "Oh no, 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 no! You don't worship me. You worship God alone. We don't worship angels." First Timothy 2, 5 says, there's one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. The point is this, don't be looking for anything except Jesus. Don't look to other men for authority. Don't look to other experiences. Don't ignore the word of God. You see, even in the time of the Reformation, and we're fruits of the Reformation, back Many years ago, the Catholic Church said that the church, the Catholic Church, the Bible, and the Pope all had equal authority. And Martin Luther even tried, you know, but he couldn't find peace until he came and found out that this is the, the just shall live by faith. Justification is a faith. And so the reformers adopted the phrase sola scriptura. Scripture alone is our authority because it's God's word. So what do we do? We must stay connected to Christ. If you cut off your head, how long would you live? Not long. Because the head tells the body what to do. If you were missing an arm and somebody, and they, they came up with an arm some way, some way and they taped it on you, would there be any life in that arm? 
No, it's got to be connected to the head. And this implies that Jesus is the Lord of our life and we stay connected to him and his truth. And the days that you don't feel good, you stay connected to Jesus and you stay connected to his word. Let me tell you the truth. God loves you whether you feel like he does or not. God loves you even when you do not feel like worshiping him. God is faithful even when we're not. God is still with us even when we don't feel his presence. God's mercy endures forever even when we do not feel that way. We are completely forgiven and he has put our sins in the depths of the ocean and separated them as far as the east is from the west even when we still feel guilty. That's the truth. Keep your head with the head. Don't follow alternate authority. And I'm just about done. But to avoid spiritual intimidation means that you live and I live a pardoned-based life, not a performance-based life. False teacher said, if you keep the rules, you'll have victory over the flesh. Paul said, if you died with Christ and you gave your life to him, why would you go back to that? So first of all, pardon-based is by faith. How do you come to Christ? Through faith, trust. When I'm talking to children, I sometimes I'll ask them, how did you get over here to talk to me? And they'll say, well, my mom and dad brought me, or my mom or my dad brought me. I said, well, did y'all walk? No, my dad drove me. I said, you, just, you mean you just got in the car with your dad driving? Yeah. Did you ever think that he might not know how to drive? No. Did you ever think he might not know how to get over here? No. I said, No. You put your faith in your dad to get you over here, didn't you? You trusted him. You not only believed it here, but you got in the car. You staked your life on the fact that your dad knows how to drive. That's how you trust Jesus. A lot of people know about him, but they've never trusted him or given their life to him. And that's the word believe. You believe in your heart. You give your life. You trust. It's by faith. And, and Paul said, why would you go back to the elementary principles of the world? He's referring to the rules-based approach. That term was used in Galatians chapter 4, verse 3. Think about a man who comes to our country. He immigrates into our country. And says, let's say the country that he came from, I'm making this up. He, he, the country he came from had a curfew at 6 p.m. every day. But he comes to the United States and he goes through the process and he becomes a legal United States citizen. And then one day afternoon he's out walking and, and he realizes he's away from his house and he realizes, oh my word, it's almost six o'clock. And he, he asks somebody, you need to help me because I know the curfew's at six. And the neighbor's going to say, who told you that? He said, in this country there are no laws that say you go in at 6 p.m. You see, he'd separated himself from his other country. Now he's a United States citizen, but he's still trying to live. Why would you go back and try to live the laws of that country that you are no longer a part of? Well, that's the principle here. Now that you've been set free in Christ, you've been forgiven, you've been, why would you go back and do all this? 
Well, the other side of that coin is performance-based is faithless. It doesn't take any faith to keep the rules. In fact, Paul, in in verse 22, he uses that word commandments. It's used two other times in the New Testament besides here, and it refers to man-made commandments, not the commandments. And then in verse 23, he calls it self-made religion. He said, why would you go back? In fact, I want to show you something here. This will bless your heart. In verse 21, those are the characteristics of this word called asceticism. Asceticism means... If it's something that's nice or feels good or tastes good, you don't do it. You try to make yourself as miserable as you possibly can. And there are people who do that for religious reasons. In fact, the, uh, the definition of asceticism in, in Webster, it says relating to or having a strict and simple way of living that avoids physical pleasure. And the Oxford Dictionary says, characterized by severe discipline and abstention from all forms of indulgence, typically for religious reasons. Now, those words in verse 21, in the New King James, it says, do not touch. But that word should be handle. Do not handle because it's deeper than just touching like I'm touching this pulpit. It means to grab hold of and to hold on to. And that word was traditionally used for food and for sex. And then he says, don't taste it, which means anything that tastes good, you don't do that. And don't touch it is the milder word. So you see the progression, don't handle it, don't taste it, don't even touch it. And the more you do that, it's going to change your life. Really. By me not doing something, it's going to change my heart. How's that going to bring me closer to God? Punish myself? There are a lot of people who do that. I can't, I can't go, I can't do it. It's, it's, it's gonna, it'll bring me closer to God if I punish myself. Paul also mentions that performance is valueless. He's, in fact, he says in verse 23, there's no value in this. These are man-made rules. All that stuff's gonna perish. None of that's gonna be in heaven. In fact, when we get to heaven, we're going to enjoy the fullness of God in all that he's created. A lot of people think heaven's going to be, well, there's not going to be any fun in heaven. It's going to be boring. I'll be in a worship service for eternity. (laughs) Some of you have been here listening to me for about 30, 35 minutes, and you seem like an eternity. (laughs) Heaven's going to be wonderful. He said, why are you punishing yourself here? Do you know the, the founder, Anthony, the founder of Christian monasticism, those guys who started the monasteries? He never changed his vest or washed his feet, ever. But he's beaten by a guy named Simeon Stylites. This guy lived about the 300s or 400s, somewhere around in there. And the last 37 years of his life, he lived on top of a 50-foot pillar, made a platform up there, and stayed up there for 37 years. Out in the elements, he died up there trying to get closer to God. (laughs) That sounds fun, doesn't it? And Paul said, that is valueless. 
doesn't change your heart. It doesn't change anything about you. I want to close with this illustration. Something that some of you will even remember back in 1987. All of a sudden, millions of Americans began to watch the television for something in 1987 that happened in Midland, Texas. Baby, 18-month-old baby Jessica McClure fell into an abandoned well and was trapped. I remember everybody was glued to what was happening. And in case you don't remember the details or you don't even know about it, let me give you the details. After 55 grueling hours trapped at the bottom of a 22-foot well, 18-month-old Jessica clawed her way out of the bottom of the pit, inch by inch, digging her little toes and fingers in the side of the well. What a hero she was. <laughs> no, that's not what happened. Y'all are going... You ought to see the expression on your faces. No. In reality, if she had not been rescued by people, she would have perished. You and I are in the same situation. The Bible tells us in Romans 5, 6 that at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. And no matter how you do it, or try to do it, I should say, you cannot claw your way to God. He has to rescue you completely. You don't even get close. You're not partially saved when you come to God. You are helpless, hopeless, and you're separated from God. But God demonstrated his love for us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He rose again. And when you place your faith in him, you have eternal life. You don't have to worry about what you eat. Now, I know there's some things more healthy than not. I know all that. But it's not a sin to eat ice cream. It's not a sin to eat bacon. You can worship whenever it's available to you, and you can assemble with other believers. Have you ever met Jesus? I told you I was a recovering Pharisee. I grew up in the church. I knew all the rules. I knew all the rules. I knew when to stand up, wake up, shut up, sit up. I knew all that stuff. But until you know Jesus, all that is a bunch of rules. He sets you free from that. You can't do anything to make God love you more than he loves you now. And you can't do anything to make God accept you more than he has through Jesus Christ. So if you don't know Jesus, if you're watching online, if you're watching on television, if you're in here, you can give your life to him right now. Would you bow your heads with me? 
But you ask God to forgive you of your sin. You turn from your sin saying, God, I know. I know I'm a sinner, God. And I ask you to forgive me. I believe with all my heart that Jesus paid the price for my sin. He died for me. I believe that he rose again. And Lord Jesus, I want you to come into my life. I want you to be the boss. I want you to be the head, the Lord of my life. And Father, I pray for those that need Jesus today. There's a big empty void in their life and they're wondering what they're missing. I pray that they'd find Christ today. And Lord, you may, you may have some folks that you want to be part of this church and that would be awesome too. And there may be some people online who need to give their life to Christ. I pray that they would hit that connect button and let people help them come to Jesus right now. And Lord, for those of us who are Christians, thank you for the freedom we have in Christ. We don't have to live this week trying to make you love us more. We don't have to live this week trying to be saved more. <laughs> thank you. Please help us to be careful when people try to intimidate us, when we know that we're complete in Jesus. And I pray for people right now who are making that commitment to you. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to today's message. If you would like more information, to make a commitment, or to request prayer, please text the word podcast to 555-888. You can also connect with us on our Southcrest app or our website for complete worship services or to plan to visit us in person. Thanks again for listening.